Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today's podcast is presented by EPRA, the European Public Real Estate Association. Facing global megatrends like green transition and aging population, how will listed real estate contribute to a sustainable future and financial security for Europe? You will not hear me race baiting. You will not hear me dividing. You will hear me trying to unify. Sleepy Joe Biden's plan will crush America. You're listening to our special U.S. election series, Campaign Confidential. I ask you to do me a favor. Suburban women, will you please like me? Remember? Please. That was Donald Trump's appeal to voters in Johnstown, Pennsylvania last week. There's a reason why he's desperate. In 2016, Trump won suburban voters, a group that numbered 67 million by about four percentage points. But just two years later, they revolted. Democrats built their House of Representatives majority in those suburbs, and Trump has been stuck in a downward spiral ever since. Today, the latest polling shows Joe Biden leading by 23 to 27 points among suburban women in battleground states. And in Pennsylvania, where Trump made his recent appeals, women with college degrees have been leaving him in even bigger numbers. But among men, the race is tied. That dynamic is partly down to the president's own performance. And it's partly due to suburbs themselves becoming more diverse. A dynamic that tends to favour Democrats. White people made up 77% of the population in the innermost and more established suburbs in 1990. Today, they make up 58%. And in some suburbs, the suburban population is already majority-minority. One reason why Trump is fixated on suburbs is because they're a special part of his identity. It's where he grew up. It's where his father's property empire and family wealth came from. But American suburbs collectively have changed. They are putting Trump's re-election chances at risk. Suburban women are some of the most important voters in this election. It was because President Trump was able to keep his margin of defeat with them narrower in 2016 than was expected against Hillary Clinton that he was able to win the presidency in the first place. But what has happened in this election is suburban female voters have been um, leaving the Trump bandwagon in their droves. Later in the episode, we'll explain why Trump's coveted suburban women voters are key to his re-election victory, but why he's facing an uphill battle. We're talking to women all around the country. Their biggest concern right now is coronavirus and how Trump has responded or not responded to it. So... What exactly has changed in the suburbs, and how does that translate into votes this election cycle? To help us better understand this important block of voters, here's Politico's Zach Stanton. So I'm Zach Stanton. I'm the digital editor of Politico magazine. Now, Zach, I thought it would be great to have you on the podcast because you've been looking at the changing nature of America's suburbs, and you've reported in August how the story of suburban women is really the story of the whole election, and that 
we've got our understanding of America's suburbs wrong. What did you mean by that? So on a sort of 30,000-foot level, there's this long-standing idea of the American suburbs as sort of the leave-it-to-beaver-style 1950s housewife. Uh, you know, it's a suburb right outside a major city. The husband commutes in to the office in the city. You know, they have a nice white picket fence, you know, two-car garage, and a couple of kids. And part of that conception of the suburbs is that they're overwhelmingly white and that they're upper middle class. And what we've seen over the last several decades in particular is that the suburbs have really moved away from that concept. They're much more diverse than people think. Uh, a majority of black Americans now live in suburban areas. Large uh, immigrant populations are drawn to America's suburbs, especially Latino and lower wage immigrants, uh, because it's where a lot of service-oriented jobs are located. You have incredible diversity in America's suburbs, and then you also have within white people who live in the suburbs, a real sort of bifurcation between more middle class and blue collar whites who tend to live in what are called exurban areas that are further away from cities, and they tend to be more likely to be Republicans. And then you have more upper middle class whites who increasingly are living in suburban cities that have old housing stock or have good schools and are sometimes investing in what are called inner ring suburbs, the, the suburbs that come up right against the city limits for the cities they surround. And so what you're seeing is that whereas there was a time where you could play on things like racial animus and racial fear as a way to really drive out white voters in the suburbs to turn out for your candidate, that tactic doesn't really work anymore. Uh, in fact, it backfires a lot of the time. Yeah, that's super interesting. It's where it's not just that the population of the suburbs is diversifying, but that there are different types of suburbs themselves. And it strikes me that Donald Trump has a very significant relationship with suburbs because his father was essentially building them uh, in the outer boroughs of New York City. And that is how Donald Trump came to define himself. But that happened in a particular era. And it feels like he's a little bit stuck in his original conception of the suburbs. I think that's absolutely right. You know, And the suburbs have been central to the way that we've really understood American politics for the last several decades. And I say this as someone who grew up in the suburbs in the Midwest. The county where I grew up was like pinpointed in the 80s as the home of the Reagan Democrats nationally. Mm. The Reagan Democrats being blue-collar people who traditionally had voted Democratic but were socially conservative, and Reagan in particular solidified them moving and supporting Republican candidates, basically. And so that's on the edges of Detroit or somewhere That's else? on the edges of Detroit. Yeah, it's outside Detroit. But it was sort of just this encapsulation of this thing that you saw throughout, really, the Rust Belt and throughout the upper Midwest of these traditional Democratic voting blocks that have shifted over the years. Not to, again, go back to Michigan, but Oakland County, which is the other major suburban county north of Detroit, which traditionally has been Republican territory. It's where Mitt Romney grew up. It's you know fairly wealthy county. And over the last two elections has swung very far in favor of the Democrats and is really sort of a, a turnout engine for the Democrats this year. And there's a lot of suburbanites, people who would be registered Republicans, people who are upwardly mobile, who are just fed up with Donald Trump. And that brings us to some of the gender gap questions, where it seems that 
Donald Trump can still win men in the suburbs, but he has opened up much more than a gap even. It's now some kind of Grand Canyon in the suburbs <laughs> with suburban women where he's 20, 30 points behind in some cases. Is that purely stylistic or is it some kind of deeper change where these women are going to be lost for a generation because of what he's precipitating? You know, I've asked a couple different pollsters about that. Uh, Anna Greenberg, who's done a lot of work with suburban women, she's a Democratic pollster. She says that it's too early to say that it's a permanent change, but it is a pretty major change. And it's one that Donald Trump really has caused. And there are policy reasons for that. You know, there is a lot of concern, particularly among women in the suburbs and college educated women in particular, about things like. Uh, losing the Affordable Care Act and, and losing coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. Or you also see abortion rights as a motivator for some voters here too. It's too early to say whether or not that's permanent. You know, everything in politics, when we talk about something being permanent, it tends not to be all that permanent. But it is hard to imagine how the Republicans claw back in any substantial way in the next four or eight years with women in the suburbs. And maybe now if we focus in on what election night is going to be like, where are some of the suburbs where we need to be looking to see which way this election is going to go? Yeah, so I would first turn to the two counties I've mentioned already, which are Macomb and Oakland counties in Michigan. Trump, I should say, won Macomb, I believe, by 14 points in 2016. It was a county that voted for Obama twice. It tends to go pretty pretty much along the lines of how the white vote nationally goes. If it's not a place where Donald Trump is surging out to a 10-point lead, it is difficult to imagine him having the margins elsewhere because Macomb voters are really his type of people. Uh, mm -hmm. It's difficult to imagine the night going well for him if he doesn't have a substantial lead in places like Macomb. If you have a huge lead for Joe Biden in Oakland County, then I would say it's probably a pretty good indicator that a lot of the wealthy suburbs, traditionally Republican suburbs, in places throughout the country are probably going to go in Biden's favor in a way that will really harm Donald Trump's odds. I would say beyond that, in North Carolina, you can look at uh, Mecklenburg County in the outer reaches of Charlotte. You know, they are increasingly fought over as North Carolina has emerged here as a very important swing state and some state in some in some formulations as a must win state perhaps for Donald Trump. A new CBS News battleground tracker poll shows Joe Biden with a slight lead in a key state that President Trump won in 2016. The poll shows Biden two percentage points ahead of Mr. Trump in North Carolina. We caution that is within the margin of error for that poll. 69% of likely voters there say that the problem for the Trump campaign at this point is that their path to 270 electoral votes is pretty narrow, and they haven't been able to really expand the electoral map in any real way. There are very few states that voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016 that you can see Donald Trump flipping in 2020. They're trying to in Nevada, um, and they had talked earlier about trying for Minnesota, but the polls there, uh, again, are just not not showing that it doesn't appear to be in reach. The polls may be the wrong, but it does not appear to be in reach for the Trump campaign. So, Well, actually, Minnesota is a really interesting case study because I think Trump imagined that his law and order message would go down very well there. It's 
uh, state where people did try to defund the police over the summer, which is one of his rallying cries to stop this effort to defund the police. And it doesn't appear to have had any effect. He, he appears to have fallen flat despite there being some initial concerns and an opening for him on those issues. Yeah, it, it hasn't gone well for him in Minnesota. There was initially that flood of people thinking that after George Floyd uh, and after the protests and after the talk about defunding and permanently getting rid of the Minneapolis Police Department, that things would swing wildly as the suburbs of the Twin Cities area, as the suburbs would uh, have backlash against Democrats. But that hasn't happened. And that hasn't happened in part because whenever Donald Trump talks about something to do with law and order, according to Anna Greenberg, at least, it tends to backfire. It reminds a lot of suburban voters of the sort of racial divides that they actually don't like. And that is one thing that's really different than how the suburbs, suburban politics typically used to play, where you, again, could emphasize racial divides as a way to turn out white voters. It doesn't have that same effect anymore. And now let's talk more about women voters in particular. To do that, I assembled a small team of experts on the issue. I am Sarah Chamberlain. Sarah Chamberlain is CEO of Republican Main Street Partnership. And Megan Malloy is the co-founder of Republican Women for Progress. Which is a nonprofit here in the States that really works to energize and engage um, and really equip women to be more involved. Sarah, what's your sense of why that gender gap has emerged? What's stopping him from landing his messages today? Sure. So in 2016, a lot of the women I talked to in the suburbs voted against Hillary Clinton, not necessarily for Donald Trump. That's a key area that I think a lot of people are missing. They didn't care for her. They found Donald Trump to be a breath of fresh air at the time, a businessman. So that was 16. They voted for him especially in, in Michigan and Wisconsin and some of these states that really got him over the top. Fast forward to 2020, they are unhappy with him. And it's not so much the policies, it's the rhetoric. They're tired of the tweets. They're tired of you know him criticizing people. They think he's a bit condescending to women. So they've grown tired of him. But what's really speeded up his problems in the suburbs is COVID. COVID is the number one, two, and three issue in these suburbs. You know, the kids are, are at home going to school. You know, they're working from home. They're trying to manage all this, and they're, they're struggling. And they don't see that he has had a clear vision of how to get the country through COVID. You know, one of the things we think about with the suburbs is that it's very family-oriented a lot of the time. You know, you don't see that many single people living out there in these big houses with big yards. And one thing that's often been associated with those families is a, a desire for security and wanting to have that safe space for the family. And President Trump has made these big appeals to law and order that don't seem to be landing at this point. Is there a law and order or other appeal he could make in these final two weeks before voting day? Megan, why don't you take that one? Yeah, that's tricky. I, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to say that it's too late just because, you know, you look at, at polling and there's maybe, what, two, three percent of voters that remain undecided. Uh, I think, you know, law and order, of course, will have an impact on a certain segment of voters. Um, unfortunately for him, I think that that segment is his voting base that, you know, when he said he could shoot someone in broad daylight on Fifth Avenue and his base would still support him. That's true. So he can kind of do whatever he wants and that they're still going to support him. Um, I think about, you know, people like the McCloskeys who 
you know, carried their guns out in their suburban yard in, in St. Louis and then were given a speaking slot at the Republican National Convention. Those are the people that are, are very supportive of this law and order push. But I think there's another huge group of voters that are kind of able to see right through that and, and have been concerned about some of Trump's statements kind of stoking these racial tensions. And, you know, maybe law and order doesn't just mean keeping your neighborhood safe. Maybe he's saying law and order to kind of boost the police force to really, you know, antagonize these protesters in certain cities. And so I think there is a group of voters that are very concerned about that. But kind of apart from law and order, as we're talking to women all around the country, that's not their biggest concern. Their biggest concern right now is coronavirus and how Trump has responded or not responded to it and what the administration can do to kind of get not only keep their families safe, but kind of get them back on their feet financially. And I think that voters are really seeing that as a real failure of this administration. And unless he and Congress are really able to put together some sort of relief package or come through with some sort of, you know, real security of we have this under control. These are the steps we're taking to keep your family safe. That might move the needle. But, you know, two weeks away, I don't see much of that happening. It's almost the redefinition of security by women in suburbia, where it's not just law and order, it's health security, it's economic yeah. security and the absence of that at the moment. Yep. That's exactly yep. what they're what they're concerned about. And I think that the administration has tried to shuffle the, the coronavirus crisis under the rug so much over the past few months that uh, women are seeing that. And they, they want someone that they believe will, will keep them safe and put their families' lives um, kind of at the top of their priority list. And I think most voters in America are seeing that as a big failure of, of Donald Trump in this administration. Sarah, do you think there's any way Trump's more traditional security appeals can work? The Republican Party has tried to, to use the defund police. You know, they, they're coming to your suburbs. You know, gangs are going to come and they're going to ruin your suburbs. The women don't believe that um, for a couple of reasons. The first thing is they don't think Joe Biden is really going to defund police. Um, Joe Biden is seen as much more of a moderate than many on the Democratic side. And the other reason is it hasn't happened I mean, yes, there's been some rioting, um, which is very unfortunate, but they haven't really seen it in in their home areas. What they have seen is the COVID crisis and, you know, pre-existing conditions with the health care and mental health and everything that's going around with what's happening in their homes for the past, you know, six months. And President Trump is not either understanding that or embracing that. Like, he's not talking to them about the issues that that they want to hear about and, you know, telling them that he saved their neighborhoods. Now, we saved your, we saved suburbia in the U.S. I got rid of You know, the suburban women I talk to on on a weekly basis are like, save them from what? Like, you know, we need them to save them, save the neighborhoods from, from COVID and get our schools working and, you know, our families back to to what used to be the, the normal. And what are some of those uh, districts that we should be watching for on election night? Something that's going to tell us how the president's doing and where maybe there are going to be some bright spots for the Republicans in contrast to the president if he is about to lose. So Nebraska, Don Bacon. So that one, um, he's running about eight points ahead of the president. I've got Fred Upton in Michigan, who's running about six points ahead of the president. And then I have Brian Fitzpatrick in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania 1, who is running about a dozen points ahead of the president. 
So those are bright spots that we're seeing that the messaging is working, you know, that they're focusing on, you know, COVID, which is what uh, the people in their districts want to be talking about. And hopefully that will drive them to victory. And Megan, what about you? I think it's really going to come down to eight states. And as you're thinking about suburbs, I would say it's kind of by, by process of elimination, the, the suburbs around the bigger cities within those states. So I think about some more down-ballot races that are, are going to be, I think, very indicative of where the country is. Places like South Carolina, you know, you look at, at kind of the, the Charleston and the Columbia suburbs and that Lindsey Graham, um, Jamie Harrison Senate seat, Senate race, I think it's going to be hugely indicative of where the country's going. Um, I think you look at places like the Detroit suburbs and, and Michigan and some of the women that are in these states that were decided by so few votes in 2016. But, you know, I think you've heard, probably heard so many stories of women that kind of held their noses in 2016 and voted for Donald Trump anyway, just because he's a Republican, they're a Republican. But now that those women have seen four years of him, they're voting for, for a Democrat for the first time. And so as we start to hear those stories and see more of a trend that way and not just kind of one or two anecdotal stories here and there, I think that's going to be kind of the story that makes up the election. It's clear that while most American suburbs began life as white neighbourhoods and came to be associated with affluence, as America changes and middle-class minority communities grow, the suburbs also change. And in the shadow of America's poorly managed coronavirus pandemic, more Americans than ever are seeking refuge there. The two biggest categories of movers are young progressives moving back in with their parents and city dwellers who've been fleeing densely populated areas where infection rates have been high and lockdowns onerous. They're choosing to save money or gain space rather than rejecting their former neighbours or abandoning their progressive social views. So while President Trump presents the future of suburbs in black and white terms, many people in the suburbs now see the world in shades of grey and come from a rainbow of colours and backgrounds. That's it for this week. We're almost there, folks. Just two weeks to go until November 3, the final voting day. We've still got one final presidential debate, which we'll cover in our next episode next Tuesday. And until then, the regular EU Confidential crew will be back in your feed this Thursday. Don't forget, you can always send us feedback. The email address is podcast at politico.eu. Thanks to our producer, Christina Gonzalez in Brussels. I'm Ryan Heath from New York, saying bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.